Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. Remember that too often, when my kids are younger, it would be a struggle to get them rolling, get them on church on time, getting them dressed, going through all of that. And then I, we would rush. I'd drive like a maniac to get to the service on time. Because I'm weird. I'm different in South Florida. I'm about being on time. Not everyone's like that. And the point is, in the past, I haven't always had the right attitude in coming to church or worshiping. It's like the story of, a, of the pastor asked a little boy, who was that cussing so loudly when I passed your house this morning? The kid said, oh, that was daddy. He was late for church and couldn't find his Bible. Dope. I hate when that happens. Or have you ever experienced this? Have you ever been here during fellowship? You're already thinking about when you get here leaving church, what you're going to eat afterwards, or the ball game you're going to watch, or who you're going to hang out with. When we were meeting Sunday mornings, the nap I was going to take afterwards, or the work you're going to be doing at home to catch up, um, you're just totally distracted, and after spending like an hour and a half or two hours here in worship, you leave here, and boom, it was like you were never here to begin with. You forgot everything you heard and everything you did, and so that can happen because we misunderstand and even undervalue what this day is all about. Uh, some, sometimes, for some of us, we get legalistic. We check off a box. It says, oh, I was here. I did my thing. God must be happy. That's a thing today. And it was a big thing in the time Lord Jesus was launching his kingdom and his ministry. In fact, the text that you just heard read is what is called one of the Sabbath scenes. And these scenes demonstrate one of the primary issues or conflicts that religious leaders had with Jesus during this time, which is why this story, it's a big one. It's in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And these, these Jews were Sabbatarians. Christ was not. Meaning, the Sabbath did hold great importance to the Jew, yes, the idea of rest and reflection, and to the extent, though, that they came up with all kinds of extra-biblical rules and regulations for the day. And the Lord and his followers, they were just gathering food to eat. And in the mind of these Sabbatarians, they were working. They were breaking the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath. On top of the healing or fasting that Jesus had been doing on the prior Sabbath. And the Jews didn't like that either. They saw them as rebels. Lawbreakers, meaning their laws, their rules, their rituals. And Jesus and his band and his disciples, they're just not conforming to the traditions and customs of the Judaism of the day, including who they socialized with, which was another big deal. But at the root of all this, as we're going to see, is about authority. That was the fundamental issue between these two sides. Who had the authority, who could rule and reign religiously, over the Jewish people of Israel? Is it going to be the scribes and the Pharisees, or is it going to be Jesus, who after all is the Messiah and the Son of God? Though they didn't see that. They didn't see that at the time, didn't believe it, or they weren't willing to accept it. 
And so we're going to look at three dramatic elements in this story that take place. There's going to be an accusation, a clarification that takes care of the accusation, and then finally a proclamation that kind of gets to the heart of the matter. So let's start with this accusation in verse 23, unpack this. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. What's happening here? What's happening, the big deal is it's Saturday, and Jesus and his disciples are just passing through a grain field, probably wheat, probably barley, and Luke, in his account, tells us they're picking off the heads of some of the grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the kernels of it. They eat it like an ear of corn. And why did they do that? Because they were hungry. They hungried as they traveled. They would walk many, many miles. That was the way to travel. So this was, for all intents and purposes, a first century drive-through. Put it that way. Seems normal. Seems wise. Simple enough, right? Verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, I found it interesting. My radar went off right away. Like, what are the Jews even doing here? I mean, they're like trailing Jesus and his disciples. And they're close enough to Christ to get a comment in his ear. So, I think they're picking a fight. This is about a debate. What are we talking about? What's the big deal? Well, Shabbat, Sabbath, for the Jews was not even a thing, so you know, until the giving of the law at Mount Sinai became a part of the law and a sign of God's covenant relationship with his people, Exodus 31. And this would be the seventh day of the week. Now, their calendar for them a day was sundown to sundown. So the Sabbath is sundown Friday, as we would look at it, till sun through sundown Saturday. And that's what's going on. And this is a holy day in which the Israelites were required to cease all work. Now, to fully understand the spiritual significance of this day, the Sabbath, we should see the connection to the rest of the Bible and to creation in particular. Genesis chapter 2, if you're taking note, Genesis 2 verses 2 and 3 says, and on the seventh day, that would be the Sabbath, Saturday, God finished his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from his work that he had done in creation. Let me say from the outset, so you're not thrown off by Genesis 2. God is God. He is omnipotent. God doesn't need a break. God doesn't get tired. That's not what it's about as in terms of a day of rest for him. The Sabbath is set aside as a memorial, as an example of the need for us to get rest, to take a day of rest rest. So God knows and does what he's going to do and is doing, so he sanctifies, makes holy, set aside this day of devotion to worship, for people to praise him, for his people to be together. That's the foundation of the Sabbath. And for the Jews, it was a big-time day of rest. In fact, the word literally has the idea of intermission, taking a break from work. From their jobs, it would be vocational work. That was the intention, so they could worship God. Go to the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, what we call the Decalogue, and beginning in verse 8. 
it says, remember the Sabbath day. This is the law being given to Moses from God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner. That would be like an alien, a foreigner in their midst who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But according to these religious Jews, the disciples were breaking that law by picking off heads of grain. Hmm. To me, that leads to a question in response to the Pharisees and what you just heard from the law which is, what religious law was it that it was against for the Jews, for these disciples, to feed themselves? Well, because they were unable to keep the law, the law. This is what happened. We talked about this last time. Pharisees instituted this complex, confusing system of Sabbath laws of their own. It was oppressive. It was legalistic. They set up strict laws regarding how to observe the Sabbath, 39 categories of Sabbath laws. Not 39 laws, 39 categories of Sabbath laws these religious leaders made in making themselves lords over the people. I like what Alfred Edersheim, he's a New Testament scholar, and he researched this big time. He dug into the Talmud, which are the revered rabbinic commentaries that would follow and the teaching that came after Christ. And what they did is it just picked up, codified all these laws in one source. And in the Talmud, there are 24 Sabbath laws in one chapter. In fact, one rabbi said he spent two and a half years studying one chapter to just figure out all the minutiae, what you could carry, what you couldn't carry, this, that. Here's some Sabbath laws. You ready? It starts off with travel restrictions. These were their vaccine passports of the time. You couldn't go more than 1,999 steps. If you took the 2,000th step, you violated Sabbath. No burden could be carried that weighed more than a dried fig or half a fig carried twice. A tailor couldn't carry his needle. Scribe couldn't carry his pen. A, pulpit, a pupil couldn't carry his books. No clothing could be examined lest you might find lice and inadvertently kill it. Nothing could be sold. Nothing could be bought. Nothing could be washed. No fire could be lit. This almost sounds like a song. I'm in a rhythm here. You could not bathe for fear when the water fell off because it might wash the floor. If a candle was lit, you couldn't put it out. If it wasn't lit, you couldn't light it. But wait, there's more. There are two winners here for me. Women couldn't look for a gray hair in their head lest they make the effort to pull it. And women couldn't wear jewelry because jewelry weighed more than a dried fig. I kind of like that one. The Pharisees, as usual, what they were doing was they were splitting hairs. Or as Jesus said, straining out gnats and swallowing camels, right? He was saying the Pharisees would pick out the smallest, minuscule, least important point of the law to focus on, which were not even God's laws, but man's, completely ignoring the most important matters of life, like compassion, mercy. So Judaism was, and I repeat from last time, still is a legalistic religion by nature. And it's often misunderstood 
and misapplied in a concept that we call legalism. Legalism. What is that? You've heard that term before. Legalism is having or calling for a strict outward conformity to moral and religious practices outside of Scripture and the expectation that others would do the same to gain favor with God. And we're going to work on applying that more in our day next time in part two of this message. But think of the Judaizers as Paul called them as the no-no tribe. And that's a tribe still strong in some Christian circles today. That tribe in most disputable issues, ones that are not clearly found or understood in Scripture, they say, no, no, can't do it. No Bible-believing Christian would do that. And that leads to then a list of do's and don'ts for living that become laws on how to live, and that is at the heart of legalism. I even read this, just to give you an example, how this kind of thinking can go wrong. Several years ago in Sardinia, Italy, a man named Mario went to the city hall to get a new identity card. He was told that he'd been officially dead for 19 years and that by remaining alive, he was breaking the law. And they made a big deal out of that. Some clerk did. That's legalism, right? So you see the root of that here in this text. And our Lord has to rebuke these people in giving a clarification of the law. Go to verse 25 with me. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but for the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Oh, you know, I love the Lord's rhetoric here. He would answer their questions always with a better question when he was talking to the Jews. He said, have you never read? And that's rhetorical because they were well read. They knew their Old Testament backwards and forwards. They read it. They just, Jesus is using this question to point out to them sarcastically their error that if they knew what they were reading, they weren't applying it right if they understood it at all. They forgot what it said, maybe, and what to do with it. In it, for instance, Deuteronomy 23, God made a great provision for travelers in that when you entered your neighbor's standing grain, you were walking through it, you could pluck the grain as these guys were doing and eat it. What you couldn't do is take out a sickle and start harvesting the whole thing and wheeling it away, of course. But... If you're walking and talking, doing those things, and you're through the grain field, there's enough where you can pluck some and eat it on the way. That was in the Torah. That was in the law. So the Lord and his disciples are just following the law, just not the tradition, the rituals of these rabbinic, pharisaical Judaizers. So Jesus brings up this example in verse 26 about David, the bread of the presence or the showbread. Those were 12 loaves of bread. Sacred, consecrated wheat bread. And of course, 12 is going with the number of the tribes in Israel. They were offered to God every Sabbath, every week. They would put out these two rows of bread. And they were only for the service and what was going on in the tabernacle and then afterwards in the temple. And David had been on the run from King Saul at the time. You read this in 1 Samuel. They were trying to kill him. They're opposed to him. He goes into hiding with his men as a fugitive. He's hungry. They don't have enough food. Closest place, tabernacle, and they find this holy bread that's there that technically was only lawful for the priests to 
to eat like Abiathar or Ahimelech. Those names can be translated both ways. And there was a chief priest, Ahimelech, who was the father of Abiathar. I'm telling you that because you may read it, both names in a translation, and think, oh, is this a contradiction? It's not at all. What I want you to know is that David broke a definite law given by Moses. The bread was just for the priests. Leviticus 24 says that. But here, Jesus' disciples, they only violated what was a man-made rule. The point is, is that if a hungry king and his men were allowed to eat the holy bread from the tabernacle, and God was okay with that, then for the Lord of the Sabbath, he could permit his men to eat the grain from the fields. There's no sin here, right? It's a matter of priorities. You feed hungry people, or are you worried about the bread in the tabernacle? What's the hierarchy here? So that's the clarification the Lord is giving them. And then he just blows them away with this proclamation. That's in verses 27 and 28, the end of the text. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus again is talking about, as we mentioned last time, what's new in the kingdom? What's new and different about the kingdom of Christ? And his gospel is getting really to the heart of the matter here. What, what is most important? Matthew chapter 12 has a parallel account of this story. It says in Matthew 12, 6, Jesus talking, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus saying, I'm here now. That temple sacrificial system is going away. Mercy, love, compassion is what it's about. Or as the title of this message is, the Lord's day is also our day. It is the Lord's day in the sense that we ascribe Him worship. We remember Him. We'll do that with the Lord's table tonight. We eat. We rest. But we also do good to others as necessary. Christ made and he manages the Sabbath. In fact, even that last phrase is interesting, even of the Sabbath. He's saying, in other words, he's got as much authority, Jesus does, over the Sabbath as he does everything else in the world. And he proves it, verse 28, he goes further, in effect, claiming he's God. He says, I am the Adonai, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Oh, you've got to know for sure the Jews loved that comment. Not. He created this day. And told us it's not only a day for him, the Lord, but also a day for mankind. The creator is always greater than the creation. He had the authority to correctly interpret the meaning of the Sabbath and the law that goes with it, because after all, he wrote it. And because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, he's free to do whatever he wants on it, however he wants, and when he wants. And what he wants to do in part is bless us on our Sabbath, and for us to enjoy it, and to meet needs, to minister to people. The Lord isn't legalistic about the Sabbath, because we've now moved into the new covenant. You know that the honor the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath day holy, that's the fourth commandment of all the commandments listed in the Old Testament. That's the one that's not mentioned in the New Testament as one of those to observe. I think that's telling. Why? Because that day itself is no longer binding that way. Remember last time I told you, civil ceremonial laws for Israel were only for those people 
at that time. We're not obligated to keep the laws. We're no longer under the Mosaic law. In the Old Covenant, it, it was so strong for God's people to stick out that nation. Israelites who broke the command against working on the Sabbath were put to death. Exodus 35, it was a capital offense. That's not for us. We're under the New Covenant. So we apply the moral teaching of the law but we're not under the letter of the law, those specifics of the law with all its finite little requirements and regulations that were for the Jews only. So that's part of what's new in the kingdom. In fact, the New Living Translation renders the verse this way. I like it. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Lord's arguments as Matthew 12 later argues, is about priorities. In fact, he makes a great analogy in Matthew 12, 10. And he heals a man with a withered hand, which we'll look at next time, and he said, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. See, they were always looking to get him. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? That's the idea. You know what would happen this evening to our poor sister? If, if it would have been more serious, we wouldn't have had this service. We would have canceled it to tend to her because she's more important than this one evening of worshiping the way we are tonight. That's how we look at the Sabbath. Relationships over religious rules, rituals and restrictions, you see. Sabbatarianism is legalism. It just robs us of our real liberty, biblical freedom in Christ, right? Legalism just aims to add on or replace the existing law with man-made laws and rituals that you can't find in the Bible. So I should say this. This doctrine, for that reason, is not a hill to die on, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Paul wrote in, Col in uh, Colossians 2, Verse 16, he said, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's a massive statement from Paul that's backed up in the book of Hebrews. What Paul is saying is all these ritualistic things, the signs, the sacrificial system, they were symbols of what was to come. The substance in Jesus has replaced the symbols and the signs. That's critical to remember. Now, let's apply this particular issue today. Can a Christian congregate with a church on a Shabbat, Saturday, or any other day? What about Sunday morning versus evening? Okay, there is no explicit biblical command that either Saturday or Sunday has to be a worship day for the church. I preached and led a congregation for years on Saturday night before we even planted CCC. And in Acts 2, you find out the church met every day. They took the Lord's table like we're doing tonight. They did it every day. So why do we call Sunday the Lord's day? I think it's right to do that. That's okay. I mean... There's a reason why the church has been dedicated to meeting almost exclusively on Sunday or what we call the Lord's Day for hundreds of years now. Now that phrase is only mentioned one time in the Bible, John 1. I should say Revelation 1. The Apostle John said, I was in the Spirit 
on the Lord's day. Now, we don't get an explanation for that, but it's pretty safe to assume his original readers, hearers, were already familiar with that expression, the way he mentions it, by the end of the first century. Sunday. Why Sunday? Sunday was a day, was the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's an act that forever separates Christianity from any other faith or religion. So I don't think it's talking about resurrection, new creation. I don't think it's an accident that historically the Lord's Day has been in the church Sunday for centuries. We Christians met on the first day of the week from way back, and it's described as being different, distinct from other days. Listen to Luke writing Acts 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. So you complain today about a long service. They started during the day. Paul preached at midnight. A guy named Eutychus fell out of his chair and died. He fell out the window. Paul had to resurrect him. This actually happened, but this was on Sunday, the Lord's Day, and there's preaching there. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come, meaning at that point a special love offering. So there's worship in the Word, there's worship in giving happening on the first day of the week with God's people. So those are at least two basic functions we emulate today. And so that was going on in the first century church. On Sunday, now I did quite a bit of research on this because uh, myself and our other elder pastors, we were going back and forth with this. What does the Bible have to say? I did find, according to early second century Christian writers, church fathers like Ignatius, Justin Martyr, the early church was meeting in a different, distinct way on Sundays. But that said, there's no evidence in the New Testament that the apostles or anyone else prescribed in the early church that that was the only day to meet for God's people as a single day of Sabbath. So that's why we don't call Sunday our Sabbath. We may apply it that way in some ways, some forms, but it's not a legal Sabbath day for us. In fact, it didn't become that way till the fourth century. Constantine in Turkey made Christianity a state religion for the first time. That was the first time that Sabbath keeping on Sunday became law. But I think, I will tell you this, my feeling is based on all this data about the church and it was Jewish in its heritage and its roots at the time of Christ, the apostles still observed the Sabbath for a season. I think they also, in a both-and way, began to meet in a distinctive way on Sunday after the resurrection and the Lord went to be with the Father. Think of it, because as the church began to disperse from Jerusalem, it's called a diaspora, they went into and throughout Asia Minor and into Europe, the Jewish customs you're going to see in the book of Acts later, they begin to fall away. You see that the roots of that new movement in the New Testament because we have Paul, by the way, who's a Jew by birth and training, and he's rebuking Jewish leaders in the book of Acts, like Peter and James. Why do you keep laying these Jewish customs on these Gentiles? Do you think a Gentile was going to be forced to observe a Jewish law of Sabbath on Saturday? No. So that's why, in my view, you have Sabbath-keeping for Jewish believers on Saturday and Gentile believers on Sunday, and that eventually morphed together 
into the Lord's Day on Sunday. I think we can make a good argument by the mid-second century that became the norm. And listen, it's rooted in Scripture, this principle. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. Two groups, who are they? Jew and Gentile. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its what? Commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That's the intention. We're no longer ethnic, ethnically bound as Christians. We're all Christians, brothers and sisters. We have the freedom to worship maybe in certain ways that reflect our context of our culture. But the Lord's Day Sunday is a distinct day and has been for Christians for centuries. And last time I was here in, cha you know, in chapter 2, I acknowledged some Messianic Jews. They want to continue regarding Shabbat as holy and there will be some Gentile brothers and sisters that want to do that with them. That's acceptable. The day of the week is, the most, is not the most important issue. It's a heart. It's a heart matter. It's the motivation. Why are you picking the day that you are? Because again, God is big on why we do what we do. Corporate worship is important. It's important to set aside a day for God's people to come together as we are here Worship, serve, fellowship with one another. And then looking at our church history, looking at our cultural context in America, I, that's usually Sunday. And it's usually Sunday morning, unless there's a reason not to. And, and I think that pleases God to see Jew and Gentile together as one to worship the Savior on the same day. So I think Sunday remains the best day for God's people to gather here in our nation in particular. But again, I have to say, it's not a sin if you don't worship and congregate on Sunday. If that decision is made for the right reason. Look, there are people that work on Sunday. They can't do it. Is that sin? Is God going to condemn them for that? Obviously not. Can't make that argument. We have people in that situation. We have a member of our church we haven't seen in quite some, while, some time because he works on Sundays. I, I work on Sundays, Right? Pastor elders work on Sundays, so I try to take actually Monday or Friday as my quasi-Sabbath day of rest. God's okay with that because the ministry work has to be done on Sundays, the day God's people are together. So you're not hung up on this as a, as a law. Paul in Romans 14 wrote in verse 5, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's conscience. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The idea is the day that you pick to worship, are you doing it because you want to honor, thank, and glorify God? That's the key. So, we do what we have to do in terms of gathering, and as we've seen in this text, there are times we have to miss church, as I was alluding to earlier with what went on this evening, to meet a need for someone else. A big idea here is to set aside a day for worship. Work six, rest one, remember him. And we'll get into that more, a little bit more next time in part two. But for the New Covenant Church, Sabbath keeping is a freedom and it's a privilege. It's not a have to, it's a get to. 
thing to do. All right? So as I close, let me just mention, we don't have the authority as the Lord of the Sabbath does. We don't have the purity of heart or the knowledge to condemn or judge someone, look down on someone we disagree with over non-essential, disputable issues like what day they choose to worship the Lord on. When it comes to issues of liberty, real liberty, we have to focus on our own lives and walk rather than someone else. As the saying goes, we major in the majors, minor in the minors, as church father Augustine put it best, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity, which means love. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help our brothers and sisters tonight to, myself included, not to elevate our opinions and make others follow them. You are the convictor of hearts and in the conscience. May others learn of your love through us. Because the greatest force of on earth, the greatest force on earth is not the compulsion of law, but the compassion of love. Lord God, I thank you for your word, which sanctifies us in spirit and in truth. I find it a pleasure to come together with God's people, to worship you, to praise you, to remember you, to remember the cross and what you've done on it, as we'll take part in your table in a moment in remembrance and celebration of that. So we're not going to judge anyone with a different idea there, Lord God. You are about true freedom in Christ, not legalism. But that said, Lord, we want to do everything that's right in honoring you. And the thing that you want us to do above all is to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, to follow him, to grow in grace by the means of grace. And that begins with repentance and faith in Christ, Lord. May someone today, or listening later, Lord, someone would be driven to repent and turn to Jesus by faith, by your grace alone. And that salvation is by faith alone for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing on this Lord's Day and going forward. And all God's people said... Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage.